This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Wow. I I have a lot to say. I mean, I know I do radio, so I should always have a lot to say, but I'm in shock. I have to be completely honest with all of you, as I always try to be, and I think I always am. Um, I am in shock. I said last night I joined Glenn and, and the whole crew in Dallas for a little bit on TV and then tried to pop in and out as I could on radio and, uh, for our coverage last night. And I said that we'd keep the Senate. And I, I sort of said that partially to console myself with the, uh, with the notion that you know when Hillary wins this thing, then at least we'll have a bulwark against the progressivism. You know, the fight, the fight will continue. The fight will continue and we will have our shields high. And then the results came in last night, state by state. At one point, I even popped in on Blaze Radio. They were doing a great job with live coverage last night. And I popped in just to say, we all realize that Trump's going to win now, right? I mean, it wasn't completely clear at that point, but this is when the tide had begun to turn. This is when the New York Times all of a sudden was saying there's a 70 or an 80 or whatever it was percent chance that Trump would win. I remember voting yesterday uh, for Trump here in New York City in sort of downtown, uh, you know, hip part of New York City. Whenever you say things, some, something is hip, then usually it means you're, you're not. But you know what I mean? Uh, I remember voting and thinking to myself, uh, you know, this is my part. I've done what I can. Uh, we're going to lose, but at least we tried. I had lost faith. Uh, I, I cannot pretend otherwise. I had lost faith. I did not think that Donald Trump could do it. I didn't think that he could win. And I also feel like the, that, that we wake up today. I, I'm overcome a little bit. I'm stuttering and stumbling a bit just because, I, I, like I said, I, I feel a bit of shock. I haven't felt this way. Uh, in a long time. I mean, this is a happy shock, and I, I won't try to compare because I don't want to give a sense that there are similar events, but it's been, oh, 
15 years since I've woken up and felt like something happened in the country that had this much of an impact. Although, of course, what I'm thinking of in that context was deeply negative and very much changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, waking up this morning has a similar feeling only in that I there is a numbness. There is a how did this how did this happen? It's a good numbness as opposed to the event I was mentioning. It's it's a good thing. Um, I think we should. I haven't even really been able to celebrate yet. I haven't allowed myself to to go out and uh, walk the street. I mean, it feels like a mausoleum in New York City for the most part, because, of course, this is I'm in the center of even though Trump is from here. His headquarters is here. His whole family's here. He's been here for as long as I've been alive. He's been here for many decades. He's a lifelong New Yorker. This is still Hillary's town in a sense, although I wonder if that's going to start to change. So you walk around the streets and there's no sense of joy or jubilation as I think there would be. And there are stores near me, by the way. I mean, it's inescapable in this city. I walk past one store on a regular basis where they have big displays in the window about Trump and, and there's profanity. You know, Trump is a, is a blanking blank or Trump is a blank blank. And I'm just trying to walk and get groceries. It's everywhere here. Um, and there was a tremendous amount of, of smug that had built up around this town. And there was a sense of inevitability. There was a sense that Hillary could not be overcome. And I have to say, I felt a, a, bit, of, a bit of despair. Now, I don't go too far with the uh, sense that politics will deeply affect each and every one of our lives. I try to keep in perspective that, you know, what really matters to you is your family, those you choose to spend time with, your contributions every day, how you treat everybody. That's what actually matters. That's what matters in any country, anywhere in the world. Um, but it's what matters for human beings, no matter where they are. So I try to give myself some ballast or try to give some balance with, with that. And I, I really had thought that uh, we had been through this horribly... Uh, bruising and difficult and painful primary process where there was so much uh, nastiness among those who really agree on 70, 80, maybe 90, 90% of issues. But they didn't agree that this would happen, that Trump could win. I have told you every step of the way how I felt about this. I've told you that... Uh, it didn't, you know, that I was going to vote for Trump because I can't allow Hillary to win. I feel a bit like, and now now's when the movie references will come out. Well, uh, initially it was as though, I'm sure all of you have, well, not all of you, but most of you have seen Saving Private Ryan. As I was voting for Trump yesterday, I felt a bit like, or it reminded me of that scene where Tom Hanks is, is, is you know, mortally wounded in, in Saving Private Ryan, and he pulls out his sidearm, and he's firing in a last act of defiance, in a final show of grit and force and courage. He's firing off his forty-five at a Panzer tank. Not going to do anything to the tank, and he knows it, but he's going down fighting. That was sort of my mentality yesterday uh, with the GOP, at least on the presidential side of things. I figured, you know, we'll go down fighting. I stood in line, voted for Trump. I've told you all that that's... That's the decision that I've come to. And and uh, then, of course, in the movie, uh, uh, tank killer plane shows up, drops a bomb, takes out the panzer and the cavalry arrives just in time. Maybe the least 
believable part of the film, but nonetheless, an inspiring moment. But it's about as it was about as believable to me that Trump would win. We would keep the Senate. We would keep the House. That what had been said for so long about Trump changing the electoral map would, in fact, be true. That these uh, that that the polls, the experts, the strategists, all the chattering classes on TV that had just gone to the mat, done everything possible to make it seem. By the way, I'm happy. I know my tone isn't. I'm just I can't I can't believe it. And I don't have many things that I could point to in life and say I, I have trouble believing it. The Supreme Court has now I know there there has to be follow through. Trump has made promises, but there's no government. There's no government impediment really in the way here. We have the House. We have the Senate. We have the presidency starting in 2017. Why would Trump betray everything that's gotten him to this point? Who Who's going to lean on him now? What does he have to lose other than the respect and fidelity of those who backed him all along when it was very tough to do so? I have to say my some of my uh, irritation with Trump surrogates and spokespersons on TV was that I thought that some of them were essentially fighting a losing battle, knowing they were doing so, but it was all for their own personal benefit, right? It was just to be on TV. Now I see that in their own way, they were holding their shields high. They believed, or at least you got to think now, a lot of them did. They thought that this could actually happen. They thought that we would be here. In this moment where after eight years of uh, Obamaism, eight years of being told that uh, traditional morality, um, that faith and love in, in, in America and in, and in the Constitution and in the vision of the founders, not that the founders were perfect and not that our history has been without blemish. No one makes such claims, but for years we have been told that the country needed to be essentially cleansed and built anew and that the progressives were in the process of doing so. And if they had won this election, if they had gotten uh, the ability to craft the Supreme Court in their image for generations to come, if there had been a mass amnesty, and if there had been a continued enlargement of government and spending uh, spending of us all into oblivion, I don't know if it was salvageable. We were going to fight anyway. We weren't going to quit. We were going to fire our forty-five at the Panzer. Didn't matter. I just didn't expect the cavalry to arrive in time. And there's a part of me that still has a, has a hard time believing that they did. There's a part of me that sits here and thinks that this is, it, it, it does feel surreal, and I almost question how it could be real. Um, many of you all along in this process, uh, especially in the, in the direct messages that I can get on Facebook, and by the way, there have been so many days during this election and before it where uh, kind words of people who listen to this show, my extended family known as Team Buck, have made me feel way better about any number of things, including what I do on a day-to-day basis, which is some days it feels like you just want to throw your hands up in the air and say, am I making a difference? Am I bringing uh, comfort to people? Am I bringing knowledge to people? Entertaining them, making them feel a little better? Building a community of like-minded individuals who haven't met but somehow know that they are connected as a family in some way. 
And now here we are. Many of you would send me messages saying, he's going to do it. He's going to win. It will happen. You wait and see. Thank you for not calling us idiots. Thank you for not spitting on our dreams. Thank you for not speaking down to us. I appreciated every single one of those messages. I read every single one of those messages too. Uh, as well as those that said, how could you, you know, how could you not stand firm with never Trump and Ted Cruz at all? I, I, I made my decision. You all know how I came to it. And now I sit here and I just say to you all, so rarely in life does it feel like the good guys win and the cavalry arrives just in time. I think it's actually a challenge to sit and savor it and appreciate it and feel like there is a hope to all of this after all. Um, I have no illusions about the possibility that Donald Trump may or may not be able to deliver on promises, may not try to follow through on all of his promises. But I do know that we're not going to suffer through four years of Hillary Clinton lecturing us and hectoring us and turning the government against the American people and taking this already far too large and powerful juggernaut and expanding it beyond the point of no return. I do know that's true now. I've been working in media for, it will be six years in June, and I spent about that amount of time in the intelligence community, almost all of it in the CIA. So I will have had sort of two parallel, or not parallel, but two tracks, two careers, one after the other. And I have never known a day where it felt like we have had real victory. Um, the things we talk about on the show day in and day out, whether you believe Trump, by the way, it, maybe Trump sits on his hands. I don't even know. Although I, I got to say, m maybe it's time to put some faith in the guy for those who are unwilling to do so. I'm not saying give him a pass. I'm not saying I can read the future and that everything's going to be great, but he beat the Clinton machine. It was so corrupt and so grotesque and fetid and low and base. And Donald Trump did it. He beat the machine. The cavalry did arrive. The plane did take out the Panzer. I'll go into a break here. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we've got President Obama speaking right now from the White House. We'll take it. Go. Republicans first. We are Americans first. We're patriots first. We all want, want what's best for this country. That's what I heard in Mr. Trump's remarks last night. That's what I heard when I spoke to him uh, directly. And I was heartened by that. That's what the country needs. A sense of unity, a sense of inclusion, a respect for our institutions, our way of life, rule of law, 
and a respect for each other. All right. And look, the I president's, the president's hitting, all the, hitting all the right notes in this speech. President Obama is very capable, uh, very capable speech giver uh, by, by all means. I think it's, it's been clear this whole time that he's a much more gifted politician than Hillary Clinton is uh, and, cer- and certainly will ever be. Um, the, I just wanted to sort of give a few more thoughts on how <laughs> the, the, the why I'm sitting here. I'm like, huh? Who? How did this happen? Um, we have been told all along, and you have to give, there are some people out there you have to give credit to, and we might even have her on the show later in the week. Uh, what Ann Coulter said was totally true about how Trump could win, that Trump would win. She said it very early on. <sighs> Go back and look at some of the clips. Rust Belt states, uh, white working class voters, ignored by the Democratic Party. That's yeah, I know. I, I've seen all the stuff about the the popular vote, uh, which Hillary Clinton did win, but doesn't matter. It doesn't really. That's just sort of an interesting. That's really just a trivia question. It doesn't change anything. Um, I've seen all of that, and I'm aware that turnout was down, and particularly black turnout in some key states, as I understand it, for Hillary Clinton was not uh, was not what was needed to push her over the finish line. But that Trump would win that Trump would win states like Michigan. That was just never, never even in the, it's never even the cards. I mean, people, yeah, maybe it was a, a, a state that would be fought over, but I don't think anybody really totally believed that he had a shot there. You have Trump, who is not an outsider in the sense of an outsider from Society and wealth and power and privilege. We all understand that. But a political outsider. And he did take a lot of heat. He took a ton of heat in this whole process. And the things people were saying about him, he was being accused of being uh, a a rapist. I mean, the the articles that would get I would get tweeted at me or the things that people would say and, you know, blog about with regard to Trump. It's. You know, you'd ha- honestly, you have to be a, a narcissist at some level just to be able to withstand it. You'd have to be somebody who has an almost unhealthy belief in self. Um, and I know we would like to think that that comes from, in our elected leadership, comes from prayer and belief in God and, and a, a sort of solemn, uh, a solemn fortitude that comes from that. Uh, with Trump, I think it's, you know, he just believes in Trump and I guess his family. And I don't know what the man, you know, what his religious convictions, how deep they run. And I wouldn't pretend to know. Uh, but Trump believes in Trump and he managed to do all this. He went up against the most well-moneyed, well-connected, well-established, oligarchical uh, political machine I mean, the true dynasty of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I know the Obamas. And by the way, I'm not sure you've seen the last of Obama uh, of Obama in politics in the sense that I think Mrs. Obama. But we'll give that some uh, we'll give that some time before we have to get into it. Pardon uh, for the siren, but we are in New York City after all. And it's very there is an eerie quiet on the streets here. I'm telling other than the sirens. There's a sense I walked to my little hipster coffee joint. And lots of long faces. Solemnity has overtaken this town this morning. Uh, we were expecting block parties and street celebrations and maybe even a fireworks show and the shattering of, an, of a glass ceiling at the Javits Convention Center. None of that's happening. 
Trump beat this machine, the unstoppable Clinton machine, now stopped twice. So I think I think the uh, inevitability of it is beyond uh, is beyond argument. It is not inevitable, clearly. And there's just there's so much to take in here. And I, I am I am deeply hopeful about what can be accomplished. I'm not going to be naive about it. I understand the challenges, and but there is m- much work to do. There is a tremendous responsibility now on the shoulders of Donald Trump, his top advisors, Mike Pence, uh, and the Republican Party, which the Republican Party now has no excuses, none. All right, uh, team, call in. Let me know what you think. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Got to tell you, if you're a big Second Amendment supporter, as I know almost all of you are, maybe a couple of Democrats listening, think that guns are icky, but, you know, you're welcome, Democrats, to listen to, and, you know, welcome you as part of our very large, the very large tent that is the Freedom Hut. It's a very big hut, very spacious. Uh, Not actually in New York City. It's very small. I'm pretty sure I have the smallest, I would guess I have the smallest living space of anybody who lives alone, of anyone listening to this, so there's that. Yeah, media. Um but the Second Amendment's in much better shape going forward today than we would have thought a few days ago. And uh, with that in mind, I just wanted to give a shout-out to our sponsor for this hour, Yankee Hill Machine. I want to welcome them to the show. As always, they have been stalwart and loyal sponsors of the Buck Saxton Show. YHM is a third-generation company. You've heard me talk with them before. I've actually posted the photos when I was out there at the range of these guys. They are awesome. They're a lot of fun. They really care about what they do. They take a lot of pride in it. But to know more about all this, the best thing you can do is just go to YHM.net. You'll see their selection of ARs, suppressors, silencers, everything that they've got in the catalog. YHM.net, YHM.net. That is Yankee Hill Machine. Check it out. These are great guys doing great stuff up there in Massachusetts. Um, all right. Uh, I, I would really like to hear, I'm sure you've got thoughts after all this. Um, I would really like to hear from all of you. 888-900-3393. It is the day after the election. Massive win for Trump. Massive win for the Republican Party, by the way. Down ballot. Republicans did really well. Very tough year uh, on, on the Senate side of things. And they defended and they, they kept the majority. 
I don't even know. It's almost like winning the political lottery. I, mean, I know it took a lot of hard work, and this isn't just luck and everything else. But in terms of accepting this new reality, eight years of, of Obamaism and the media and just, ooh, we're going to talk a little more about the media. This is, this is going to be a very interesting time going forward because the, there was a gamble that was made. The gamble was that the media would help Hillary win then they would have access and they'd be on the right side of things and they would effectively be an appendage of Clinton Incorporated and the Clinton White House. And they were willing to, they made that Faustian bargain. Problem is, the devil took their souls and then they lost. The devil didn't come through on his part or her part in this case. Very different. Very different than what the media was expecting. I'm quite sure of it. All right, let's uh, take a couple calls we've got in here. Gino, call, are you in Bolivia? Am I getting an international call? That's always exciting. <laughs> you always say that every time I call. That, yes, I'm it's awesome. It's awesome. Are you kidding me? I get international callers on my radio show. It's humbling. So what's up? <laughs> uh, just uh, just calling in to, to say how surprised I was this morning when I woke up and and Trump had won, and I was. I was surprised at myself for feeling happy because I'm not a I'm not a Trump guy. I was uh, I was kind of mm, never Trump, never Hillary. Um, and and when uh, when I saw it, it was just uh, I think it might have been the shot on Freud because I quickly turned on CNN and and watched them squirm, <laughs> which was quite quite funny. And um I noticed that they would they wouldn't show any of the the Trump victory party or any of that. They were just showing um talking heads discussing how did this happen? How did this happen and and it was it was uh it was pretty funny. But, yeah, I, I there was look I, there was there was real disbelief on the faces of a lot of prominent TV uh TV reporters, journalists, whatever we want to call them, talking heads on the screen. Oh. Uh, there, were, there was real. Dis- I mean, this was not. This was not feigned. I, I don't think, because here, here's what. Here's the. There were sort of three things that the the media in general had convinced, or was try, I should say was try, obviously didn't convince a majority of the American people. Was trying to convince the American people. True. One, Trump has no shot. Two, if you think Trump has a shot, it's because you don't believe in math or science and and are a tinfoil hat conspiracy nut. All right. And then three, if you were to go beyond that and still vote for Trump, you're a bad person. The, those were the, the three things. The amount of things. backpedaling. I'm, I'm sorry? Did, and, their, and their constant um, referring to um, educated women voters. like uh, And then the uneducated women voters were the ones that voted for Trump. And they kept playing that, uh, playing that card and, and talking about um, uh, the stupidity of the, of the American voter. It, it, it was, that was the subtext. As as they were as they were doing their little thing, I think the funniest part was when uh, Christie Anampur, I think one of the stupidest people on CNN, um, started saying how um, how all the right wing European uh, dictators were so happy that Trump had won, and that that comment just uh, that hurt me. She is so stupid. Uh, look, there's there's a lot of. Uh... A lot of childishness on display, even from people who have been so fortunate uh, in their in their careers and professionally to have the enormous paychecks and platforms that they do based on, I think, very minimal talent. And they're acting like crybabies uh, cry over this. 
And I mean, look, I was fully prepared. I already had the whole show in mind for what I was going to more or less say when Hillary Clinton won. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I, I was geared up for a let's go out there and fight. You know, I know we're down three touchdowns, but and there's only, you know, one quarter left. But we're we're taking this thing till the end. And anybody who doesn't have a muddy jersey and, you know, blood coming out of their nose or something is, is not fighting hard. I mean, I was ready for that. You know, I was ready to go full radio patent here about how you don't want to tell your grandkids you were shoveling poop in Louisiana. You want to be in this fight. Right. <laughs> and and I've had this whole wait a minute that's that's not the speech I'm getting like that's crazy so you can imagine how it feels for the other side who just they were just ready to to get out there and boogie uh, they were ready to you know the the streamers and the champagne and all that it was just going to be amazing right. uh, nope sorry yeah, I don't I don't think they were prepared to show any of the Trump uh, victory dance because because they didn't show it at all and then then they went on and on after Hillary gave her speech this afternoon. Um, you know, showing the crowd shots and, and things like that. This uh, this is the international coverage at CNN, which is the only channel that we get, uh, unfortunately. Um, and that's which is why I, I, I'm a podcaster who pulls down your podcast every day. Incidentally, the, the coverage last night, you were great on that uh, with Chris Salcedo and, and Doc. Uh, you had you had a couple of really good zingers on there too. You're Thanks. I tried to I tried to to add a little buck spice where I could. I, I was honestly so transfixed by my I was talking to friends and family on my phone. I mean, it was just I, I was a little bit uh, awestruck for the first uh, for the first time in politics when the, those returns came in and it became clear. Once he won Florida, I was like, okay, this is this he's going to win. It. That's that's. I was Once he won Florida, Florida, I knew he was going to win. And I, I mean, I came on the, yeah. I came on radio. I was like, we all realized Trump's going to win, right? I mean, like, this is actually, this is actually happening. I mean, I know I jumped, I was jumping the gun technically, but you could just tell at that point this was, this was real, and the theories out there about how Trump was going to pull it off were, were very real. Gino from Bolivia, International Squad, Shields High. Thank you very much, buddy, for calling in. Great to talk to you, and thank you for downloading the podcast. Uh, John in Long Island, a fellow New Yorker. What's up, John? Our fellow hey, New Yorker got on, it Bob. done last night. Yeah, well, listen, I'll tell you, uh, my vote in New York didn't really count for much across the board, but uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see that he, he pulled it out. So reason for my call, uh, you know, somebody who's worked in law enforcement like yourself and somebody who I, I believe, uh, listening to you over the years, values the, the rule of law greatly. I really want to get your take on this uh, sentiment that we need to uh, bridge this divide that's been created with a uh, pardon of Clinton and the Clintons just to kind of wipe the slate clean and, uh, and, and give an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to come together. Like that's going to take us and, and bring us together uh, as a country. I want to hear your thoughts on that because uh, I, I can, I can kind of be persuaded either way. If, if it's something where, you know, people think it'll really bring the country together and the, that it will, I don't know that I believe that it will at least at this point. Um, you know, I, I would be for that because I think we need to put America first. On the same token, a lot of the sentiment around the um, the fact that you broke the law and wasn't being held accountable is, is a big part of the reason why I think uh, people didn't come out for her and why people came out in droves for uh, for Donald Trump. Well, I, so, I do believe that there was. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely, and John, it's, it, look, it's a fascinating question. I, I remember sitting in on a. I, you know, I used to study international relations you know, on the academic side back when I was a student. I remember sitting in a forum and talking about how one of the big problems you have with some of these uh, international tribunals or sort of international criminal court is who has the power of a pardon? Because pardon is, an it, first of all, it, it is an awesome, not in the sort of surfer sense, but in the awe-inspiring sense, 
uh, power that is given to the the chief executive that he can just he can just make make it go away. It really does not matter what you whether it's treason. He, he can make it go away, or she. I'm sorry, but anybody uh, who is who is the yep. commander in chief can make it go away. It's a very important thing um, because what it allows is the elevation of the best interests of the polity over any specific uh, infraction or infractions of law. Essentially, for the purposes of reconciliation, we will move beyond what has been done or we will uh, overlook something that has been done. Um, that's that's I assume what you mean by the, the Clinton pardon, right, that this would bring us together as a nation. We'd no longer be talking about we no longer be yelling lock her up. I'm going to say I'm not punting on this. I need to think this one over a little bit uh, because okay. it's on. still no, no. And, and I, I don't mean I'm, I'm not going to you know, I want to give you a little more than just I'm going to think this one over because I, I'm very torn. Uh, there's a part of me that feels like we all know that the Clintons, had they gotten away with it, would have been the opposite of magnanimous, uh, would have gone after their enemies, uh, would have uh, punished people and would have would have I really believe would have ruined lives and used the government and, and their power and authority in order to do it to settle scores. I think I think the Clintons are and, and I don't mean to be dancing on their on the Clinton campaign's grave here, but I'm just trying to speak some truth. Uh, I, I think the Clintons are very. Uh, low and uh, disingenuous and untrustworthy people. I think they are not just flawed, um, but are 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 corrupt beyond uh, beyond the political sense of it. They're they're morally corrupt. I mean, there are deep ethical failings uh, within Bill and Hillary Clinton that have been papered over and covered up by the by the press, or they've sort of been pushed through for years. So it's it's tough. Um, it's this is sort of it sort of reminds me of, you know, how I'm kind of in a movie mood today, John. You know how in every, you know, not every, but a lot of movies or even superhero movies, there's always that moment where the bad guy is, you know, just clinging onto the edge. And it's well, does our hero now reach down and try to be uh, the bigger person to try to be brave and heroic and pull their sworn enemy up? Knowing that it might, in fact, bring them. Of course, usually what happens is the enemy tries to pull them down and then they get to finish them off. Right. But th- this is the this is the dilemma we're in right now. This is the situation. Yeah, because well, I, if you're going with a if you're going with a movie quote, then I, I will hope that uh, we are the Bruce Willis and they are the Hans Gruber of Die Hard, because, uh, quite frankly, I think they deserve nothing less um, as much as I I, I want to believe that it would bring us together. I think a lot of the disenfranchisement with the, the Clinton machine, a lot of what led to the independence to, to swing over to Trump or maybe not go out for Hillary is the fact that it was so blatantly obvious that she was corrupt and, uh, and quite frankly, criminal. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the pardoning of, of, of her, I don't know that it would go as, you know, I don't know that I can be convinced that it would go as far as, as some, you know, might be suggesting, um, you know, as some, somebody who I respect greatly, uh, you know, Judge Napolitano and Fox saying, you know, I think that it would be something good to bring the, the country together. And they were talking about that a little bit this morning, um, you know, early early hours this morning. Um, I, I don't know that I can be convinced that it could. I don't know that the, uh, the groundswell of sentiment uh, against uh, or for, you know, letting the political, and, and I'm not saying, listen, he should, you know, make an edict and put her in jail, right? But special prosecutor, let the investigation run its course um, and, and let justice be served. I think that's really the only way that we can get back to restoring the rule of law. John, I hear you. And like I said, I need to think on this. And we're going to return to it. It's a great question. And I appreciate you calling in from Long Island. Shields high. Uh, 
a lot more stuff to think about, talk about today. And uh, team, I'm sure many of you have some thoughts you want to share, whether you are super Trump, never Trump, maybe Trump. If you got a Democrat out there, if we got that, if we have that lone Jill Stein listener, let me know. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Team is lighting up these lines. Darby in Dallas, what's up, my friend? Hey, Buck, how you doing, buddy? Just wanted to give you a call this morning and uh, congratulate you and thank you on the way that you handled this entire election process. I think there were I had to take a break from a media altogether, to tell you the truth. And uh, your show was my only my only refuge from from the madness that was going on. So I appreciate that. I just wanted to add one more thing. There is only one thing that I am sad about with this whole thing is that I fear that I will not get to hear your Hillary impersonation anymore because <laughs> that brightens my day every time. So when I hear her speak, it's your voice that's in my head. Just so All you right. Know. That's great, man. Darby, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Shields High in Dallas. Great to hear from you as always. Jane in Missouri, you're on the Buck Saxon Show. Hey. Hey. Well, one of the, one of the things I wanted to comment on was um, – you know, when everyone got this wrong and they're saying the poll said this and said that, I mean, who are they polling? Because <laughs> anybody in the rural area I live in definitely was not. Actually, we, they weren't voting for a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, we've got a we got they an expert voting in voting in the numbers joining us later because I have Jane. I, I want an explanation. I, I want to know how it is that so many smart people can tell us, well, if you don't believe the polls, you're not smart. The polls were wrong. Full stop. And we're not, you know, and this is the other thing. We also put those Republicans to where they have full control, but we'll take them out. Of office, <laughs> yes. people don't. Through the electoral process. Pretend. Yes, yes, of course. In other yeah, words, no, I, I hear you. Yeah, of course. We'll vote. hold them accountable. I, I'm going to hold Trump accountable and everybody else, too. That's how we do things. It's not just about the pursuit of power. It's about the principles. But this is the, the thing. They have no idea. They act like everything's just hunky-dory. With people without jobs. I hear you, Jane. Thank you for calling in from Missouri. We're at the top of the hour time now, but uh, we'll be right back, team. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to our two here in the Freedom Hut. We're joined by Ben Dominich. He is the publisher of The Federalist. You can read more on thefederalist.com. Ben, quite a morning. Good to have you. Good to be with you, Buck. Uh, quite a morning indeed. What what a, an epic historical day to be talking to you. Uh, and I just have to warn you that uh, because of my uh, work last night on uh, on CBS, uh, I'm talking to you with about two hours worth of sleep. So 
So forgive me if I uh, am a little bit uh, uh, under the weather, let's say today when it comes to, to energy, but wow, what a, what an evening, what a, what a a process to see play out. And it really did astound uh, just about everybody who's been working in, in professional punditry and, 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 uh, analysis over the course of the past several decades uh, to see something as unheard of as this happened in the modern era. How do you, in, in your estimation, given what we, we now have some data to go along with the conclusion, how did this happen? So I think this happened for a couple of reasons, but, but let me just start with this because I think it's the biggest reason and it's one that and people really are not talking about. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of things about the hidden Trump vote. You're going to hear a lot of things about people not talking to, to exit poll uh, viewers and things like that. That's a dynamic that, that certainly is real, and it tells us why the exit polls were wrong. But I, but I think the actual overall dynamic is simply this. People were not excited to vote for Hillary Clinton. The Barack Obama coalition of young voters, of, of, college, uh, of college-educated single women, of African Americans really was not as excited about going out to vote for Hillary Clinton uh, as uh, as they were for Barack Obama, and because of that, she's going to end up with vote totals that significantly lag him by millions of voters all across the country. And at the same time, Donald Trump matched or came or is going to come close to matching the vote totals uh, that Mitt Romney had uh, in 2012 which this time around were enough to put him into victory. Uh, what it really proved, I think, overall, was that the Democratic ground, uh, get-out-the-vote effort, this uh, ground game that we heard so much about, this machine that the Democrats said they could just flip the switch on and get these same people out to vote, that just wasn't the, tr- that just wasn't the truth. It wasn't the case. And they were unable to get the kind of people to go out and support Hillary Clinton uh, that you might have seen. So you'll hear things in the in the media about, oh, this is uh, this was hidden white voters who are who are racist and resentful. That's not true. Or you're going to hear things like James Comey, you know, resolved. You know, he's the he's the big reason this you know happened one way or the other. Guess what? James Comey's uh, announcement in the, the closing weeks of the campaign is not the sort of thing that would keep six million. It looks like Obama voters from 2012 staying home, sitting on their hands, or casting votes for third-party candidates. Hillary Clinton just was not popular with them, uh, and even her vaunted ground game could not overcome that. It seems like the Democrats had a bit of hubris going on here, I mean, in part because of all the money and, and the support from the media and, and the, the echo chamber effect that that creates. But Obama was a once-in-a-generation political candidate for them. Uh, they when, Now when you look at this, it sort of change, changes, I think, the perception of how Democrats at, at the national level uh, for the presidential election, how they do. I mean, we had Bill Clinton didn't even win half the vote, right? I mean, didn't even win a a, 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 a plural or a um, more than half the vote. And now you have uh, Donald Trump flipping states from blue to red that were considered to be relatively safe. Uh, it was really Obama that got them through the last two elections that they won. It wasn't the Democratic Party is this unstoppable uh, machine that that can't be broken. Think about the elections in 2010, in 2014, and in 2016, when Barack Obama's name was not at the top of the ballot. And you see what happens, which is basically, if it actually sort of says Obama was a better candidate than maybe we even gave him credit for at the time, because it shows what happens when Democrats have to deal with a reality where he's not there. And it also shows, frankly, you know, the, the fact is that it's, it's harder to motivate people to get out and support a candidate 
if they just plain don't like them, if they have serious problems and questions with them. There were there were so many voters, I think, across the country who looked at Hillary Clinton over the past several months and had just a very fragile view of her as, as someone who uh, would not provide strong leadership, uh, who would not provide change, who was a candidate of the status quo and not really a very pleasant one. Uh, at the same time. And I think all of that really uh, led to a situation where it wasn't just, you know, the, uh, you know, a problem for her to try to sell this temperament message uh, to her voters as a motivating factor. Uh, it also was a situation where every single time she tried to gain a little bit of momentum in one way or another, something new would come out to remind people of her, uh, of her scandals, of her incompetence, of the problems that she had as a candidate. And I think that that all, you know, served to, to lead us to the situation where it wasn't just her that failed. It was Republicans across the country who uh, didn't, you know, didn't just succeed, but succeeded in, in situations that were astounding. You know, you had the, uh, uh, you know, situation where someone like Evan Bay, recruited to run in Indiana, you know, gets completely clobbered by uh, Todd Young for that Senate race. You have Russ Feingold brought out of retirement to run in Wisconsin. No one thought that Ron Johnson could beat him as, as recently as just a few weeks ago, uh, and he beats him handily. This is a situation where where voters across the country uh, actually were depressed by Hillary Clinton being at the top of the ticket. I think she's going to go down as one of the worst presidential candidates of all time uh, because she really did have every advantage in the normal political playbook in her corner. She had the media in her corner. She had the money in her corner. She had the organization in her corner. And she still turned in this kind of, of terrible result uh, that, uh, that looks to be uh, the worst thing that people have seen since Dukakis. And when we look at the, the way that this uh, ended up happening, I heard people talking about the sort of Rust Belt strategy and how Trump was going to, for, for stretching back all the way into the earlier days of the primary on the GOP side, that Trump would win working class white voters, that they would be the key, and that the Democratic Party had sort of left them behind, and with their near open borders uh, position and their uh, their sort of constant bowing to uh, multiculturalism and this sort of, you know, browbeating uh, of America or America mm-hmm. abroad and in some ways America at home, that the white working class was going to be the vote that made the difference. It seems from all of the all of the uh, exit polling I've seen so far, it seems as though that was true. Uh, that, that very early analysis of how Trump could actually win, uh, apart from the issue of Hillary's uh, depressing candidacy, was accurate. There were white working class voters who went out for Trump and they went out for him in, in, in enormous numbers. I mean, percentage wise. Yeah. So, Buck, you know, last night I, I, I went to the CBS studios here in New York and, and we went into the we crammed into a, a back conference room where the head of polling uh, for CBS sat down and gave a whole crew of people the the outline of what the exit polls were saying. Now, we know now that the exit polls were wrong in in a number of respects, that they they underestimated Trump's support, they overestimated her support. But one of the things that was very telling uh, from that initial data that they gave to us where, uh, and and frankly, they, they have a very responsible polling team, they're very cautious about things, they described it as a tight race, a very close race, one that could go either way based on what was going to happen in the in the evenings across the country. But there were two significant factors that stood out to me. Number one, she was winning within these uh, early uh, exit polls about 65% of the Hispanic vote. Now, that may sound like a big number, but as you know, Buck, Mitt Romney won only 27% of the Hispanic vote. So that actually put Trump 
in a position where he was overperforming Romney, and, and indeed it looks this morning as if he did overperform Romney among the Hispanic vote, which of course was shocking to uh, a number of people or should have been. The other factor that was very interesting in Rust Belt states, particularly in Michigan and in Ohio, your early exit polls showed that while uh, Barack Obama won union voters, union members, by uh, more than 60 points in, in both states, uh, keeping in mind that in 2012 this was in the aftermath of the auto bailouts and everything else, uh, this essentially the, the union vote in both states was statistically even. And that is a warning sign. It's a sign of, of what happens when you take a coalition that had as a portion of it, you know, however you estimate it, a fifth or, or a fourth of it, uh, made up of these white working class union members, voters who were basically appealed to based on economic interests, uh, based on uh, you know agreement with them on issues like like trade, where uh, where uh, Donald Trump has a less conservative position. Those voters uh, have been cut off from the Obama coalition. They are no lo- they were no longer necessary for him. And so I think you did have a phenomenon where there were a lot of people who might have voted for Obama in 2008 over John McCain, who over the course of the next eight years became increasingly depressed with what they saw from the government. And when Donald Trump came along, they viewed him as their champion, as their tribune. Uh, and that's one of the biggest reasons that he was able to have such an effective response strategy. Now, obviously a great night for the GOP overall, too, maintaining control of the Senate. Uh, it is a a relatively unobstructed pathway to implementing an agenda for a Trump presidency now, assuming that he follows through on promises and, and the Congress uh, goes along. How do you think we're going to do on that issue of, of party unity? Do you think everybody's kind of uh, everyone's going to realize that this is a, a once in a generation opportunity to get a lot of things done that people of all different kinds within the Republican Party would like to see done? There, there's a couple of things that I think are going to happen very quickly, and one of those, uh, you know, biggest things is going to be uh, that Trump is not just going to be picking a cabinet over the course of the next couple of months. He's also going to be picking a Supreme Court nominee. I think that Supreme Court nominee and the way that that process plays out will tell us a lot about the approach uh, that the Congress is going to have, both the Democrats and the Senate, uh, and uh, and the Republicans generally to Donald Trump. Number, you know, the big question is, does he stand by his promises that he made to the Federal Society, to other key individuals, to uh, to the American people about who he was going to pick as that Supreme Court nominee? You remember uh, that in his updated list of, of people that he rolled out prior to Ted Cruz's uh, endorsement of him, uh, at the top of that list was Senator Mike Lee from Utah, obviously a prominent conservative uh, and someone who uh, a lot of people would like to see on the court. Does he nominate someone like that? Does he go in a different direction? Does he try to make some kind of peace with Democrats? Or is this a situation where they, they slam one through? I think that's going to be a critical choice on his on his part. And I think that the choices for his cabinet will be telling as well on how the Republicans respond to them, particularly if they contain some people who are perhaps off the beaten path ideologically. I do think that one of the biggest questions going forward is how does Donald Trump work with people who he has had contentious relationships with in the past? Obviously, there was a revenge factor. If Donald Trump had lost, there were all these rumors and murmurings that he was going to start up super PACs to go after people like Paul Ryan, to go after people uh, you know, who, who he viewed as, as not supporting him, Jeff Flake and others, Ben Sass. Uh, how does he work with those people now, considering that many of them represent 
the next generation of, of leadership within the Republican coalition. I'll be particularly interested to see how he works or doesn't work with Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is obviously somebody who has, you know, is in a weaker position now than he was perhaps, you know, six months ago as someone who is no longer viewed as necessarily, you know, a, a leader of the conservative movement. What is the fight that he picks? Does he keep his head down? You know, is he, is, is there some kind of peace that is made? The other, and that's a, you know, a real question about whether Trump is going to be able to work alongside a lot of these uh, Republican figures. I don't know about you, Buck, but when I saw him come out to give that, uh, that speech at the end of the evening, um, where where he you know was was embracing uh, the idea of being president for the first time in public, what I actually saw in his face was was a degree of, of I don't want to say dread, but let's just say an awareness of the of the weight that he is about to put on himself, uh, and a, an awakening to the idea that wow, I really am going to be president. We really are doing this, uh, and I think that that is you know that's a moment that a lot of people have. I mean, Barack Obama kind of displayed that a little bit in two thousand and eight. And I think responding to that, how he responds to that, is something that we can't really know. Is he going to turn more to his advisors? Who is he going to look to as being, you know, sort of closest to him? Is he going to listen to people with whom he had significant disagreements, but who can also be of significant help to him in this role? Those are all open questions and not ones that we're going to really know the answer to until he's had a couple months to prove. I know you're exhausted, Ben. I know you're up until the, the wee hours. I just want to ask you for a, a quick, a quick response to this one. Then we'll let you, we'll let you go and, and get some sleep or do whatever. I'm sure you've got hits all day. Uh, cautiously optimistic, hopeful, uh, wait and see. Where are you on a Trump presidency now? You know, I, I mean, I'm in kind of a wait and see uh, mode when it comes to the actual policies that he has, because I think those are still in the large uh, venue fairly vague outside of the issues of tax and, and immigration policy. But here's the area that I'm most hopeful uh, for, um, whether you're a Trump supporter or not. What we, what I hope we actually see here is a return to a form of government where the Congress has the ability to assert itself. Under Obama, we've seen an unprecedented degree of executive rule where the Congress really had no role in terms of its uh, ability to, to hedge against the executive or to make changes. I think that if there's one thing that Donald Trump is uh, has shown a willingness to do, it's to upend systems and to, and to try to make them work uh, better. And I think that that's going to lead him to hopefully uh, fire a lot of people who are currently in the American bureaucracy, fire, clean out a lot of agencies, get rid of a lot of people who've been uh, putting in bad, bad regulatory uh, policy over the course of decades under Republican and Democratic presidents and really drain the swamp to a degree uh, that he has promised the American people. I'm optimistic about that because I don't think he feels any need to abide by the political norms that we've had in this country. And that's something that I think uh, people who favor limited government should be fans of. Ben Dominich is the publisher of The Federalist. You can go read more at thefederalist.com and certainly give Ben a follow on Twitter if you're not already doing so. Ben, thank you for making the time. I know you're exhausted, but uh, great to speak with you. Great stuff as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Great to talk to you, Buck. Take care. Uh, All right, team. Going to a break. Take some calls right when we get back. This is The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. 
Phone lines open, 888-900-3393. We've got every line lit up, but as we take calls, spots will open. Let's get uh, Tom in Kansas. You're on the Buck Sexton Show, sir. Welcome. Hey, Buck. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Shields high. Shields high. Thank you. Hey, so um, I'll be quite honest. I'm a never-Trump supporter. I always been uh, from the very beginning, even since the primary started, and caveat, I'm also a never Hillary supporter as well, but um, I I guess I'm kind of at a loss for words of what to think about this election right now, because, I mean, Trump's done an awful lot of talking throughout the election, and um, I'm really kind of hoping he can back up what he's been saying. Yeah, me too. You're hoping he's going to follow through on his promises and do what he said he was going to do? Sure. Yeah, you know, and I guess I, I know I'm i not really sure what to think because, I mean, I'm definitely glad Hillary Clinton didn't get in. What, but here, Tom, let me let me just but, try to—I'm not trying to put an overly positive spin on things, but let's just—why wouldn't he? What's to stop him? I mean, they've already, they've already said every nasty, horrible thing about him imaginable. Uh, it's not like— it's it's not like there's really nothing they can say that hasn't already been said. And when I mean say it, I mean try to convince the American people of its truth. Uh, so what's to stop him? I mean, he's a guy's basically 70 years old, right? He might be president right. for eight years. He's super rich. And at this point, why would he go? Why go back on the constituent? That's kind of what I would uh, for those of you who are very and I understand the skepticism. But for those of you who are skeptical, I would say what purpose would that serve? Um, there's there's no reason for him to sell out those who got him to this point, and I, I just can't. I, if it were in his interest, I would understand the hesitation more, but I don't see it as being in his interest. So why would he do it? I mean, I guess my, my biggest concern is of how divided our country already is, and I mean, he divided the Republican Party already during the primaries, and it's just it's, I feel that as divided as our country already is, I feel like it's going to hurt our country more now. Because in a way, I feel like we were kind of in a lose-lose situation anyway. And I guess I'm trying trying hard to find for me to get behind Trump and support him because I'm conservative until the day I die, you know. And I just want to be able to know that I can get behind him and support him and know that he's going to back up what he says without dividing our country even farther, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I look, I, I completely take on board all, all of your all of your concerns. Um, I, I think we, I think we've got to, I think we got to give him the chance. Uh, I plan to give him the chance as much as you know that matters one way or the other. Um, and I think that he may surprise people. He certainly surprised Absolutely. us all this far, uh, and I, I, I mean, surprised the skeptics. Um, right. He's, he's got the Senate. He's got the House. <laughs> What he's done is, that, is that, that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm yeah glad, and, and what he's done is almost a miracle. So I mean, there's no he can't pretend that there's some obstruction or, or why lie, you know? Yeah. Enact his tax code. Let's see it. You know, I would love to get the big tax reductions that he's talking about in there. I mean, there's no reason he can't do these things, and I don't see a reason for him to back off in his word. So Tom, I hear you. Shields high, team. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. John Fund, columnist for National Review, joins us now. John, thank you so much for making time. It's 
crazy right now this morning. I think a lot of people are coming to grips with what happened last night. Uh, just give me your, what are your initial thoughts? I mean, what's your sort of 30,000-foot view of the political landscape right now? The most motivating factor for people in this election was the desire for real, immediate change. 39% of voters said that was the biggest reason they were voting. And Donald Trump got 83% of those voters. In- interesting. So it's interesting because you know you had Obama offering up change. But wh- why was uh, – so Trump was the change candidate. Was that mostly a Democrat-Republican thing, or was it specific to Trump's message in your estimation? A lot of it is the specific grievances and issues that Donald Trump brought to the table. Um, the weak economy, which, by the way, was the number one issue that people voted on. We can go into that. Um, trade, immigration, America's loss of prestige and influence in the world, uh, political correctness, uh, a whole range of things that people felt Barack Obama had gone way off course on. And even though Barack Obama is personally popular, he's more popular than his issues. And whether it's Obamacare or whether it's taxes or whether it's regulation or whether it's ISIS or whether it's immigration, a lot of people felt change was needed. And, John, you're a guy who's written a lot about elections and polls and and the numbers on this one. I have to say – People were you know, asking the days before this, you know, who's going to win, who's going to win? Everybody around me here in New York City was asking the question. And it seemed if you were to say, well, I'm not sure the polls are right. People looked at you like you had, you know, five eyeballs or something. I mean, it was just it was it was an unthinkably obtuse uh, suggestion in a lot of circles. And not everybody feels this way. But, you know, how could you not look at all the polls? Look at the average of polls. John, how they get it so wrong? Because from now on, when people say, I'm not sure I trust the polls, they can point to this and say, yeah, they do get it wrong sometimes. Well, we put too much stock in polls, and I'll give you a reason based on my experience in Britain covering the Brexit vote. Uh, The Brexit polls weren't far off. They had um, remained leading by two points. It lost by four. That's within the margin of error. If you look at Hillary Clinton's final average of poll numbers, I think she was ahead 3.5 nationwide. The final result will be within that margin of error. So I think people forget the words margin of error, which means the polls aren't precise. They're a variation. And in addition, Donald Trump won the Electoral College, but he probably is going to fall just short in the popular vote. So that will also will say the polls weren't that far wrong because the polls almost always are measuring popular vote, not electoral college votes. So it's it's really that the, the perception was that the polls were more strongly or, 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 or more clearly uh, going to show Hillary as the next president than was necessarily the case if you read sort of the fine print of the polls. Is that is that well, kind yes, of a fair? And, but the, and there was some polling bias. Um, clearly, there were shy Trump voters. These were people who did not want to be interviewed. And if they were interviewed, they either said noncommittal things or they lied and said they were voting for third-party candidates or somebody else or even Hillary. And the other thing the polls – so that I think the polls didn't capture that. We saw that in Brexit. There was, if, if a position is considered socially incorrect, politically incorrect, people are loath to tell a stranger what their private views are. The other point is, in Britain, uh, if you look, there was a last-minute surge, not big, but in a close race it matters, a last-minute surge to leave the, the Leave campaign. Trump had a surge the last day or so. A lot of people make up their mind in the polling place. 
and barraged by 18 months of ads and criticism and counterclaims, they finally went into the polling place and said, what's my gut check? And more of them said Trump than Clinton. Do you agree with the analysis that Hillary Clinton was ultimately just a fundamentally weak candidate and that all the sort of trappings of the Democratic machine around her and all the push from the media and all the money behind her didn't really make make a difference? I mean, this might change the way people view Money, as people seem to think, or at least a lot of pundits will say, that money is a deciding factor in politics. We saw Jeb Bush spend over $100 million and get nowhere. Hillary had the most well-established, well-moneyed, well-connected campaign that anybody could think of. Uh, She couldn't win. Was it just because of Hillary, or do you think it was was more that Trump caught uh, sort of a, a special fire here? Both candidates were disliked and distrusted, but Hillary Clinton's dishonesty and untrustworthiness stemmed from really, really important things, not just lying about your business record. Um, She violated national security protocols with the email server. She ran a foundation which was basically a pay-to-play scam operation to enrich the Clintons and provide sinecures for all the people they had on family retainer. The, The Clinton family, according to its critics, was the Clinton crime family. And I think the Democratic Party, historically, is going to have to answer for itself How in the world, when Joe Biden wanted to run, when there were lots of other people who were qualified and could have easily won, why did you hand over the nomination, in fact, tilt the nomination away from Bernie Sanders towards Hillary Clinton, knowing that she had violated national security guidelines, knowing that she was an inveterate liar, and knowing the Clinton Foundation was a series of landmines probably likely to explode before the election? Talk about irresponsibility and lack of due diligence in a political party. Now, the Republicans have their own problems with due diligence in Donald Trump, not questioning a lot of his things or demanding his tax returns. But the Democratic negligence was just mind-boggling. Do you think that the Democratic Party comes away from this and, and uh, and takes the appropriate lessons, or do you think it's likely that they will sort of retreat into the, the consolation and, and warmth of, well, America is just more racist than we thought, and we'll get them next time? It's unclear. The party has to have its own conversation. You know, in Britain 20 years ago, the Labor Party had that conversation when they kept losing elections, and they decided to go with Tony Blair, and he moderated the party and started winning again. I think the problem the party has is it's no longer just a liberal party. It is a left-wing party. Compare the Democratic platform and what Hillary Clinton's stands on the issues were with what Barack Obama's stands were and the platform was in 2008. This is a far left-wing party. Donald Trump, for all of the fact people hate him, is not that much of a conservative. In fact, he wants to spend a whole lot of money, more money on child care and on infrastructure. Infrastructure, yeah, he's big on infrastructure. So, and, of course, he's anti-trade, which is not a conservative economic precept. So the bottom line is the Democratic Party has to ask itself, are we appealing to mainstream voters? Because we sure did in this election. I mean, you saw non-college-educated whites back Trump by almost 40 points. Right. I mean, th- these had been uh, – I'm sure a lot of them are union members, people that are they're – the, They're the spine of the Democratic coalition until recently. And how did they lose them, John? I mean, this is, I think, what the Democrats are going to oh. have to face now. Well, let's, let's get started with denigrating their traditional values, family, faith, personal responsibility, uh, the belief that if you play by the rules, as Bill Clinton once said long ago, you'll be treated fairly and you'll get ahead in life, uh, catering to special interest groups, whether it be environmentalists or gays or minorities or... Um, 
you know, vegetarians or whoever else is the special interest order of the day, uh, weakening, uh, weakening our national defenses, and theirs is a very patriotic segment of our electorate, uh, completely ignoring their the costs of trade and other deals and changes in the economy that was ravaging industrial cities. Obviously, a lot of that was going to happen anyway, but the democratic policies of high taxes and high regulation made whatever changes were going to happen even worse because they made it harder to create new businesses that would create new jobs. So it looks like there's going to be plenty of runway for a Trump agenda. He's got the House. He's got the Senate. Uh, what expect? I mean, John, I know you court, can't read And he'll have the Supreme Court again. I'm sorry, what did you say? He'll have the Supreme Court again. He'll have the Supreme Court again. Uh, this is a level of Republican control that I don't think many of us were really even dreaming of six or 12 months ago. Uh, you How about covering- six hours ago? Or six hours, yeah, I mean, six days ago. Uh, so you've been covering politics a long time, John. What are your expectations going into 2017? I mean, is this a seismic change in the way uh, in the way government gets done in this country, in your mind? Well, elections are about dismantling things and building things. Donald Trump has clearly dismantled two things that seemed impregnable, the Republican Party establishment in Washington and the Clinton family business, uh, which was politics. Uh, That's dismantled. What he will build, since he was often vague and not particularly specific, is a little unknown. It depends what kind of advisors he appoints, what kind of people he puts around him, what his priorities are. Um, Donald Trump has the potential, given that he has created this mandate for real change. He has the potential to make real and lasting change in this country. On the other hand, he could always fritter it away in, shall we say, eddies and currents and side shots and, you know, the stuff, the kind of things, that the kind of rifts that he did on the campaign trail. Can Donald Trump focus on what the American people consider important and get things done or really be distracted by, well, every day will be a new, you know, reality show TV issue for him? And if the if the Congress, if if the House and the Senate on the Republican side are willing to go forward with Trump's tax plan, is what can they get it through? Can the Democrats really stop them? If the Republicans hold together, you can pass a budget which includes tax changes with fifty one votes. Fifty if the vice president has to break the tie. There's no reason, since the Democrats can't mount a filibuster on budget issues, that Donald Trump can't get his entire tax plan or almost all of it enacted into law very quickly. That would seem to be that alone would seem to be a, a pretty big change in in how Americans interact with their government. The much hated IRS will be on a very different footing. Well, Trump's plan is a good one. Uh, it's not really that radical. Uh, people who want a flat tax or a fair tax would go much further. But Donald Trump would slash uh, the corporate income tax, which is the highest in the industrialized world. That would help create new jobs. He would bring back a trillion dollars in American capital that's trapped overseas because it would face high tax rates if brought home. Um, He would make all kinds of, he would increase the personal deduction, which would help middle-class taxpayers. There'd be a lot of changes in there which would benefit and help kickstart a very anemic economy, the slowest economic recovery we've had since 1949. Let's see what he does. Supreme Court, tax code, there are a few things that are right at the top of the list, and there's no reason that he can't get it done. John Fund is a columnist for National Review. John, great to have you on post-election day. Thanks for making the time. A pleasure, Buck. Thank you. All right, team, taking some calls on the flip side of the break. Much more coming. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, we've got uh, Watson in Florida on the line. What's up, Watson? Hello, Buck. Good to talk to you, my friend. Good to talk I to you. I just wanted to say, Shields High. <laughs> yeah, man, Shields High, for sure. Uh, listen, uh, a little over 21 years ago, I moved from a town. I graduated high school and moved from a town with less than 2,000 people in South Alabama to the middle of Manhattan to go to college. And within a month or so of reaching what I thought was the promised land of intellectuals and free thinking and whatnot, I realized that I had just landed right back where I started, just as bigoted, just as closed-minded, just as narrow-minded as you can get of a uh, populace. And for the first time since then, last night, after it was sort of all said and done, I still didn't necessarily believe it. I mean, Fox has Wisconsin going, but won't call Pennsylvania. New York Times, I don't know why, but was way ahead of the curve all night. I looked at the map and the density of the voting, and I looked at it, and I thought to myself, this is the resounding denial of the illogical and irrational progressive thought that has basically been able to, due to war and just political, I mean, civil upheaval, has been allowed to flourish for the last 25, 30 years without check whatsoever. And I honestly, um, I mean, I voted for Trump, of course. I don't really like the guy, of course. He probably won't even be that great of a president. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, whatever. That has nothing to do with anything. The fact that for once, everyone just said, we're tired of you telling us how we should feel. And how we should live, how we should think, yeah. We are going to pull the grenade because there is no reason not to. I mean, I I don't think Obama's that bad of a guy, but the fact that he relentlessly, unilaterally pushed an illogical, progressive uh, agenda that, you know, I have an 11-year-old boy, and when he comes and asks me certain things, it just, you know, um, just just logically, you're innocent, you're young. It doesn't make much sense to you that, you know, I don't know what it is, whatever transgender stuff or whatever it might be. And I say to him, and People have a right to feel however they want to feel, but they're boys. Yeah, I know they're boys, but they might not know they're boys. Uh, I know they're your girls, but they might not know they're girls. Um, it's perfectly 100% innocent, innocent and honest to think a certain way and perceive the world around you. And just that innocence. you got about 30 of, seconds, Watson, then we got to bounce. Okay. So come to a conclusion with me, just, my friend. Yeah, just that innocence of logical deduction has been demonized because of what it might say about you and and whether it be a microaggression or a macroaggression that type of 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 repression from the media and and whatnot is finally just thank god yeah it's just too much said like hey we're done with it i hear you watson in florida shields high buddy great call thanks for calling in Uh, it's like i always say the at the end of 1984 remember they they had they had only fully broken him when he repudiated the woman that he loved they had only fully broken him when he finally gave up on all that, you know, all that uh, motivated him and all that was dear to him and, and denounced. He denounced her. That's what the progressives want now. They want you to not just let them have their way and you have your way. You have to bend the knee and do what they say. 
And the Hillary machine getting stopped is the biggest reversal in that process I have seen really in my lifetime. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. Welcome to our three. I know it's been flying by. We've got so much to talk about. Our friend Carl Higby joins. He is the original Trump surrogate. He is a Fox News and CNN commentator. Carl, you were on the Trump. You were practically the conductor of the Trump train. You were there the earliest phases. I remember seeing you in the green rooms at CNN. And you were like, it's going to be Donald Trump. It's going to be Donald Trump. And people were looking at you like you were nuts. You were not, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you were yeah, not. Well, like, thanks for having me, Buck. But uh, I tell you, it, you know what it is? It's, we've been, I've been, you know, me and my, my friends from the beginning have been spit on. We've been kicked in the dirt. We've been called racist, homophobic, everything you could possibly imagine said that we wouldn't even get a third of the, the popular vote. And here we are today. And America made the right choice to, to, you know, save the direction of this country. What do you think was the what were the, the big factors in the minds of, of those who who turned out in those swing states yesterday to to give Trump? Look, we knew Trump was going to win Kansas and Texas. And but it, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, right. in the places where it really mattered. What do you what do you think was the difference maker? Because you've been you've been, like I said, on the Trump train all along. You know what? What it was is is. When Donald Trump stood up there and said, I'm, you know, if you put, you know, profit above patriotism here, if you try to outsource these jobs for a couple extra bucks in your pocket, I'm going to make sure that it, it is not profitable for you to move overseas. He's, when he stands up there and says, I'm here for you. I mean, this is a billionaire who had, could have had everything in life and didn't need to be thrown into the public eye to be ridiculed for 18 months. This, this is the, the average guy. The average guy who doesn't vote because he's too busy working three jobs to pay for his kids' lights and water bill and, and things like that. He came out. He said, you know what? I'm going to take off that extra shift, even though I need it. But I'm going to go to the polls. And I might not be able to put food on the table for one meal, but I'm going to go to the polls and vote for Donald Trump because the system has screwed me, and I want something better. You were a former Navy SEAL, Carl. Uh, you, you served you served overseas in, in combat zones. One of the places where I know the, the Trumps or one of the areas from within the GOP where Trump has received the most harsh criticism, e- even including lifelong Republicans that I know who said that they were going to vote for Hillary because of this one issue was on his role as commander in chief. As somebody who, you know, uh, was in the Navy, wore the trident of the seals, uh, served in combat, has many friends I know still inside, as well as those who have, have left the service. Uh, what do you say to those who are who have concerns about that but are, are at least willing to sort of hear out you know trump as as commander-in-chief well i can tell you the two the difference between the two of them are the fact that hillary clinton doesn't care about the troops she never did she never does she doesn't care about people in uniform she actually despises them from the people i've spoken with very close to her campaign throughout this election 
But Donald Trump, look at what he did with Corey Lewandowski when he stood by her with the Michelle Fields, ex, uh, you know, the whole exploits of that. He stood by Corey Lewandowski and honored that loyalty. And, and you know what? Military people saw that. We also want a guy who is proud to be American, proud to be great, and not afraid, you know, doesn't want to jump into conflict, but not afraid to end a conflict if we do get into it. So you have full faith in Donald Trump as the next commander in chief. That's that's something that you stand firm and you would say that to, like I said, your brothers who are still in uniform and those who also are veterans on the outside now. Absolutely. And, and I have a, a dozens of friends that I've spoken to in the last three, four hours. And, you know, I haven't gone to sleep last night because we were at the party all last night. But they're all happy about this. They're all thrilled. They all want a guy who's going to take it home, take to, you know, bring back American values and be a strong America again and not cater to other nations. And if other nations want something from us, they're going to have to pay for it. And now, what do you think about the prospects of, of unity, given that there's been all this acrimony within the Republican side? It's, it's over. Trump won. Um, I mean, the election's over. Trump won. And now, what would you, what would you say to those who are, who are skeptical about all this? I mean, do, do you think that, uh, do you think that there's an, a real opportunity to come together here? And is Donald Trump going to seize that opportunity? Absolutely. I mean, we heard his speech last night. He, you know, the, the time for arguing is over. Sure, like, there's a bunch of us out there that would love to spike the football and say, ha, told you so. But at the end of the day, we've got to work together. I know Paul Ryan slid over, and Paul Ryan said, look, a lot of you down-ballot guys, whether you like it or not, won on the coattails of Trump. And, I mean, he really started to acknowledge that. You saw a unity from our upper echelon today, and I'm, I've been talking with some folks from the campaign today as well, too. And the unity that's coming together right now, and, and those who you know, those who voted for Hillary Clinton, guess what? Like, America rejected that style of government. America rejected globalism. So let, let, let's give it a try. Work with us so we can Im- impose some sort of happy medium that's going to be the way America wants to go and not alienate anybody. Carl, is there any chance uh, we may see you popping up in a Trump administration in some capacity? I mean, I hear the earring of the Pentagon's a fun place to hang out. Uh, yeah, I, well, I can't say anything about that with any uh, confirmation. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 I know, I know. I'm asking an impossible yeah. question, but we just, we just want to put that be, out there. Yeah, no, I would be very honored to uh, be in his defense department, and I've, I've uh, asked for my bids to, to serve my country yet again with the Department of Defense, so that's a decision they'll have to see if uh, I'm qualified enough for, and uh, appears they're very interested. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully. You, you, no, no. I remember when, when I was uh, in the primary and, and, and supporting Ted Cruz, but n- never, I was never a Trump trasher, as you know, uh, and you were supporting right. Trump, and we'd go up against these Democrats uh, o- over at CNN, you know, Democrat strategists and, and uh, Hillary surrogates and everything else. And they, again, it brings me back to my initial, they, they thought that I, I was like way off, but they thought that you as a Trump supporter were from some sort of other planet. Have any has anybody sort of even you don't have to name any names, but has anyone reached out to you and said you were right or, you know, I should have I should have given you a little more credit or anything like that or not not so much magnanimity yet? Uh, Not yet. What I've gotten a lot of I've gotten a lot of the people that were, you know, just anti-Trump, the never Trumpers and a a lot of pro Hillary people have reached out to me. Oh, we're screwed. We're so effed. And, you know, you don't even know what you got us into. You're you're. You've turned us into a racist nation. I've got a oh lot of gosh, that. Oh, gosh, really? Oh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, yes, I single-handedly had the sway of the entire nation. Sure, I would, I, would, I would welcome that type of sway. But, no, 
I mean, the thing is, is I've gotten a lot of that. Even, you know, God forbid, even my own mother-in-law, she, she tried to level, you know, level the waters a little bit today but, uh, with a little bit of twist of, of uh, skepticism. I mean, she, she voted for Hillary, so unfortunately um, she's, she's not thrilled about the outcome. But there's a lot of people that think that, you know, I'm part of the problem still and all that. So I said, you know what, let's, let's see in two years reevaluate because I guarantee you we're going to be in a much better spot. All right, Carl Higby, the original Trump surrogate, as we see here on the screen. He was a Fox News and CNN commentator, former SEAL. Carl, uh, big congrats and high five, and, uh, you know, great to have you on. We'll have you back soon. Buck, thanks so much for having me on, man. It's a great day in America. All right, take care, man. Uh, there we go. Hey, look, Carl was one of the—I can tell you, Carl was one of the originals, and he also— even after Trump won, uh, I appreciated this. O- always made time when we asked him in the Freedom Hut. Some people thought themselves a little fancy for the Freedom Hut once they uh, once they were associated with the Trump campaign and Trump was the nominee. I get it. People are busy. Still friends of mine. But Carl always made time. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll see. Uh, we shall see uh, where it all goes for those who hitch their, hitch their wagons to Trump early. I mean, it was quite a – from a pure – uh, from a pure career play, I have to say, for some people, oh, my gosh, by the way, side note, you got to think about all of the individuals who were just, I mean, they were already, they probably have furniture they picked out online that's going to be delivered, uh, you know, it's going to be delivered to Foggy Bottom, the State Department's going to be delivered to these places starting in January. I mean, they were ready to go. They assumed those jobs would be theirs. Oh, all the, all the donors who were expecting to become ambassador to the Bahamas or the United Kingdom or wherever. Oh, my gosh, so many people. All the all the staffers who are expecting to get senior cool positions in the White House and they'd be dining out on that the rest of their lives, even after they finished it. I mean, just they they didn't see it coming. They didn't see it coming. It's look, I didn't see it coming either, but I also wasn't planning to be. You know, I wasn't banking on being a senior figure in the Clinton administration, obviously, or any figure in the Clinton administration. Um, but last night watching it, uh, you know, I, I will say I was I was pretty impressed with and not surprised at all with the way that most of my fellow conservative media pundits, talking heads, analysts, whatever we are, um, wasn't wasn't a lot of uh, wasn't a lot of in your face, wasn't a lot of look at all of them cry and what a bunch of babies and all that sort of thing. Uh, I think there was a sense of. There was a simultaneous. Well, there are a few things going on. In, unless you were a true believer all along, I mean, there was there's a little bit of a shock, and then there's also the recognition that okay, now it's it's going to be go time, and this is a tremendous weight and responsibility, and it's not just for the administration; it's for those who you know, every one of us who cast a vote in favor of of Trump, uh, every one of us who now, even if we didn't vote for Trump, is is willing to be supportive. Also has an obligation. And we have an obligation as citizens to to hold this incoming administration to account, and we will certainly do so. You know, I I, I am ready to be every bit as harsh on a Trump uh, on a Trump administration as I would have been on a Hillary administration if he if he fails to live up to very clear stated promises uh, for which he has no out. I mean, look, if he if we had lost the Senate, I mean, this is what I never could have fathomed really was going to happen. If we had lost the Senate. It's already you can you can already see how Trump would be sort of moderating and he'd he'd be changing this and changing that. There's no, there's no reason for him moderating this stuff. He he. So again, it brings you back to why would he? I I don't see that as as likely, and I I think that all of all of those who are part of the Trump coalition in one way or another 
will be pushing him to follow through on this because, I mean, this is it, right? We've we, People sort of went after the establishment of the GOP and upended it, and this was the proverbial extended, shall we say, hand, although we could pick out one digit on that hand, uh, to the establishment um, and uh, a smack to the establishment. So if this doesn't change things, if this doesn't work, I think the people will just be, be disaffected. You know, we'll just sort of say, all right, well, I guess statism rules the day and it's, it's all over with. If this doesn't shake up the system, what possibly could? Uh, so this, the stakes are very, are, are very high indeed. And like I said, we will see. I am – I is, is sanguinely optimistic a term? I don't know. Uh, cautiously optimistic is overused. I have, I have a uh, – hopeful is a little too, you know, a little too storybook. A little, oh, I'm hopeful. I, I think it could work much more uh, much more to our benefit than a, a lot of my fellow conservatives have yet. I think they will come around to this idea. The Supreme Court nominees, that's essential because that will prove that a big portion of the argument for those of us who didn't really think that Trump necessarily had the temperament or even the character to be the next commander in chief. Supreme Court was always a compelling data point, And if he puts a a constitutionalist, a conservative jurist, but even, it's really a constitutionalist uh, on the court then that will be the fulfillment of at least one major promise from uh, for this administration and i think he'll buy a lot of goodwill to not do that to me would just it would be it would be crazy in a way that very few people very few people that get to donald trump's station life can be uh, there is a it would have to be truly irrational so i am like i said i understand the uh, skepticism but i also think that there is reason there is reason for optimism, not just a sort of blind faith. But when you war game this out, there's a definite possibility that Donald Trump will, in fact, do the things he said he would do. All right. Uh, we'll take some calls either side and talk a bit more about, oh, everything that's going on. Be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, Mark in Massachusetts, you've been on hold. Thank you, sir. What's going on? Shields high, Buck. Shields um, high. You know, um, sanguinely optimistic. Wow, that that is pure um, etymological mastery. Uh, <laughs> it's it's an attempt. <laughs> hey, you know, um, in, in a span of time that stretches fifty percent longer than the span you have been in media. Something is about to occur, and that is reporters committing the act of journalism. What do you mean? Meaning that, that, that people employed in the media are going to actually start doing their jobs and reporting on things. They're actually going to try. They're actually going to work on stories. They're actually going to attempt to cover things as opposed to not cover things or willfully obfuscate factual events that that really occur like i don't know former secretaries of state committing perjury in front of congress and you know things that were just wildly underreported 
they'll actually pretend that this is like um, the Watergate era, and they're actually do their job. Do you think there'll be a, a sort of return to media objectivity that comes out of all this? Oh no! Well, they'll 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 cover um, a Republican um, administration. 180 degrees differently than they uh, covered a Democratic administration. But I, I think that in, in the same way that they just absolutely look the other way, anytime um, you know the administration would would pull something, uh, or, or or Hillary or any kind of prominent Democrat politician would just absolutely refuse to report the the information. I mean, heck, when when George Bush was. Um, when they were talking about how he got a cushy stateside uh, reservist job, it was 45 straight days above the fold. I mean, you know, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how they actually aggressively become reporters trying to cover news events instead of, you know, uh, obstructionist. Um, well, I, mean, I, I think there will be a switch, Mark, but I see the switch a little differently. Uh, they're going to stop being, so? cheer- they're going to stop being cheerleaders and, and become, uh, nemeses. Uh, they're going to do everything in their power. Uh, most of the media will do everything in their power to, oh, they're angry about this. They're not chastened. They're angry. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, of built-up resentment and, and rage that is unleashed uh, by the establishment media on Donald Trump from, from go. I mean, not even from his first day in office. It's going to start, you'll see, in, in the weeks ahead. And I don't think that they feel the least. I think that they're really incapable of the self-reflection needed for the kind of course correction that you're talking about. Yeah, there'll be some object. There'll be more objectivity as long as it hurts Trump. You'll, you'll see lots of reporting that looks like just objective reporting. Uh, but as, as soon as they have a new champion, a new standard bearer to get behind. And I wonder who that would who that's going to be, by the way, on the Democrat side, because the bench is actually pretty thin. Uh, as soon as they have right. one, uh, you'll you'll see them start to all the old sort of all the old tricks will will show up again. You'll see it. So that's that's my take on it. Yep. Well, I uh, just wanted to put that out there because it's just as someone who began his career in the fourth estate, actually motivated by what actually happened in Watergate um, as a kid, um, it's just turned my stomach to see how the media have become such a yeah, hyper-partisan. It's gross. It's yeah, gross. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's pornographic, to borrow the phrase of uh, one of your former colleagues. All right. Uh, but. I hear you. Mark from Massachusetts. Good to talk to you, my friend. Leslie in Houston. What's up? Hey, Buck. Um, going back to the Hillary possibly being pardoned, you know, there's there's two big threads here, the emails, but then there's also the foundation. And the foundation is almost as important because if they don't kill it, burn it to the ground and sow the ground with salt, you can't not think that Barack Obama is not already drawing up the papers for his foundation or Harry Reid is going to do his foundation. This will be the new way of doing business in Washington, and they've got to stop that. I, I think it would be interesting to see, Leslie, and I haven't gotten into this yet on the, on the program, uh, but for those of us who have said that Clinton Foundation was a pay-to-play scheme all along, we're going to have some very interesting data to look at soon. Um, how much is Bill Clinton going to be getting for speeches in six months? 12 months, maybe even a month. And (laughs) if we see a precipitous drop off in that, what does that tell us, everybody? What can we deduce from that? And the same thing with the Clinton Mm -hmm. Foundation donations. Do you think that this do you think that the Moroccan king is going to be sending 15 or 20 million bucks to them just because he loves the world so much? I don't think so. Yeah. But now the email thing. Yes, Richard Nixon got pardoned. But I think um, the younger folk, and I include you in that, might need to review how little 
the people around him had to do in order to end up in prison. Oh, and yeah. so what we've seen by, by WikiLeaks, basically, it's, you know, any day of the week, these people are doing worse things than the people around Nixon ever did. I hear you. Leslie from Houston Shields High, great to talk to you. Uh, team phone lines are open now. We've got some space. 888-900-3393. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. One of the things that I, I am hoping will change as a result of this campaign, just, just for the sake of, of, of truth and, and sanity for all of us, and this notion that there's all this dark money in politics that, that buys elections and that Republicans are the party of special interest, big dollar donors, and that you know just whoever's got the biggest bags of money is going to win. Um, I mentioned Jeb Bush, who spent over $100 million to get nowhere in the primary, but that's that's not enough. Perhaps we should look at uh, what the Washington Post has as the amount of money raised as of October 19th. That's when they have sort of complete data. You have Donald Trump raising $795 million, $248 million of that the Donald Trump campaign, $486 million party and joint uh, fundraising committees, and $60 million of super PAC money. Hillary Clinton, as of October 19th, had raised $1.3 billion, $556 million for her campaign, $544 million from party and joint fundraising committees, and $188 million for super PACs. So she has an enormous advantage, um, an enormous advantage across the board. Uh, her campaign had a lot more money. Super PACs spent or Superax had raised, I should say, three to one against Trump, over three to one. And somehow Hillary doesn't win. So this is not to say that there is no money in politics, and the, but it's, it's just this uh, bizarre meme that seems to be out there that somehow the, uh, the person who has the most cash is the person who's going to win Always, always, always. And oh, by the way, Republicans are the ones who raise all the money and Republicans. You, know, you hear Democrats give these really uh, sort of sophomoric speeches about how much they want to get money out of politics. And then you see, well, but what are you talking about? They use that as a means of sort of mobilizing people for campaign finance reform because they're the ones that always like to sort of play games with the regulations to infringe on the First Amendment rights of the other side. Same way they want to talk about the fairness doctrine, the same way they want to do uh, all sorts of things that run afoul of very basic freedoms that we hold dear. And that, but they do so under the sort of broad rubric of, of fairness um, and w- w- with this whole money issue. And you, know, you look at McCain-Feingold and some of the efforts to r- restrain campaign financing. OK, well, Hillary Clinton had one point three billion dollars raised and she got soundly defeated last night i just want to know it, it will this can we stop hearing from these pseudo pious politicians about how much we need to get money out of politics 
it's it's just a, it's a dumb thing to say. It's kind of like having a discussion about climate change. Do you believe in climate change? What does that mean? Do I believe yeah, the climate's always changing, always has been, always will be? So do I believe in it? I don't believe in it. It is. But what are you trying to say? Should we get money out of politics? What, what does that mean? So now now you can't raise money and and put, you know, put up ads for your specific issue or you're not allowed to already. It's this sort of Byzantine set of regulations. And you saw with, with the John Doe investigations, I know I'm sort of going into the micro here up in Wisconsin, but hey, Wisconsin, very important what happens in Wisconsin politically for the rest of the country. As we see, they were trying to use campaign finance laws to shut down speech and do criminal investigations over it by saying there was illegal collusion. I mean, it's just, you know, Democrats are the sort of cheating lawyers who always pull out the law book when or put out the rule book when it helps their cause and try to sort of you know they try to hide things in the fine print of the contract and get away with it and with this election we saw that you know all the money they raised where did it get them all the money that they had it didn't change the final outcome so i would hope i would hope that that's something that will now begin to view a little differently Nick in California, you're on the Buck Saxon Show. Welcome. Hi, Buck Shields. Hi, Shields. Hi. Yeah. Oh, I'm not. I'm actually from Utah. I just I travel around the mobile freedom hut for you. I hear you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I wanted to call and tell you because I I was watching the on TV the earlier coverage of everything, and I was I was watching the mainstream media just. They would talk to the, the Trump campaign. They'd just beat him up and say stuff like, well, how do you think you win? Is there any way you'll be able to pull this out? Then they'd go over to the Clinton campaign, and they'd say stuff like, you know, what kind of flowers are you going to have at your, uh, when you win all this, you know? And at the end of it, I was, looked, I was listening to you guys and watching it on TV, and just to see the look of this total what is happening to us on, on their faces was just priceless last night. And I'm not a real big Trump supporter. I mean, I'm from Utah. I'm an Evan guy. But I was happy to see Trump win because I was just anyone but Hillary. Please, anyone but her. No, oh, I mean, I, I've, I've agreed with you on that. I've, I've always been opposed to Hillary Clinton winning. And uh, look, man, I, I, I hear you. It's, it, I feel a little emotionally drained with all this because I've been trying to sort of keep it together during this election. And it's just been there's been so much psychological whiplash between you know, conservative principles, Donald Trump, the party, Hillary, what do we do? What's going to happen? And, and finally, now we have some clarity and, and it's almost it's almost overwhelming. Honestly, it's sort of like, whoa, OK, now we're there and, and we can look forward to uh, or we can look forward. I can just stop there. We can look forward and see what's coming uh, down the way. So uh, oh, Nick- I agree with you. a hundred. Per- I agree with you 100 percent because it's just been hard to keep your morals through all this. Yeah, and it's it's cost people, I think, uh, the respect of colleagues and friends, and it's it's gotten you know it's one thing when somebody who's a leftist gets mad at me or gets mad at somebody else who does what I do. There's another thing when people that you like and respect are kind of saying, you know, well, if you if you go and and vote for Trump, you know, I think less of you. There was a, there was a lot of that, so I'm glad that that's over, uh, at least for now. I'm glad that that's over. Oh, um, I am too. Yeah, absolutely. Nick Shields, hi, man. Thank you for for calling in. Yeah, it has been a it has been something of a of an emotional roller coaster of an election, um, and and I think back now to, you know, I I kind of wish that I maybe had, oh, I don't know, 
there were some times where I could have thrown down more to help the Republican cause, uh, but it would have meant defending things that Trump had said that I just didn't really think you could defend. But then again, the whole idea that I'm constantly defending what Trump says instead of talking about an issue was something that I sort of resented, uh, at least on the on the you know cable news side of things when I would get called in and, and get an opportunity to weigh in over at CNN on this stuff. It always felt like I was boxed in and, and the constant... The constant game that you have to play over there is, well, okay, Trump, this is the worst thing Trump said this week, defended. I'm like, well, can I talk about the worst thing Hillary said, or can I? I mean, these are things that I mentioned on air, by the way, those of you who have seen enough of my hits. I said, do I ever get to talk about Hillary, or do I just get to come here and, you know, Buck, Trump said this. It sounds really racist, right? Or not? And that's, <laughs> I wasn't as, um, I wasn't as willing to sort of bend over backwards and do the uh, intellectual gymnastics that, look, there were some others who did it, and and I think that they were helpful to the Trump cause in some part. So um, I I couldn't be uh, untrue to myself. I don't know if that's really a thing that you can say. Um, but I, I also feel kind of like, uh, wow, it has been a surprising, uh, it has been a surprising election, to put it mildly, all the way through. And, and here we are. Uh, I do have a, a tremendous sense of, of relief. And I'm finally starting to feel... It's finally starting to sort of settle in in my mind that this is where we are, that, that this is we now have a Trump presidency and this is the future. And uh, I am going to continue, I hope, uh, working in this field of media under a Republican president. That would be uh, quite a change of pace. Uh, I came into this when Barack Obama was a few years in office. And it just it had felt then and until very recently, I think it had felt like we were heading towards a, a one party state. Really, what I mean by that is one party control, um, because the grip that Obamaism had at the federal level seemed so strong. And the federal government was just overrunning any uh, any hurdles that the states were trying to put up. And then with executive orders, by the way, on the on that point of executive orders, going to be very interesting to see the amount of hypocrisy displayed um, by those who were very, were really in favor of Obama's executive orders that they liked. Once Trump breaks out the pen, which I'm sure will be gold and, and encrusted with diamonds, we are going to make fun of Trump, by the way, even though he's going to be the Republican president, right? We all know that. Like, it's still going to be amusing. This isn't like, oh, Trump's the president. We don't do hero worship. I've always told you that, or at least we shouldn't. I don't do it. And as conservatives, I think it's a very unconservative position to think of somebody as, in any respect, beyond reproach or uh, sort of above the, the normal considerations of just you and me, right? The things that we would have to deal with. You know, we all get made fun of. We all have to have a sense of humor about ourselves. Uh, and I think that there will be plenty of room to joke around about the Trump administration, um, and I, I also think that uh, it'll be an opportunity to sort of bring together a lot of I, I would like to see all the never Trumpers in media, uh, you know, just be willing to give this a give this as much a chance as they can, uh, whatever that means. Uh, I, I know there are people out there of very goodwill who still are just not sold on this. Um, I, I hope that they will be. Uh, because there is a, a tremendous opportunity here. That doesn't mean that there is tremendous success. There's still a lot of stuff that has to get st- has to get done. Um, I just still sit here, and I, I know today I, in some ways, feel like I'm uh, less articulate than I usually would be here at the microphone. I'll just be honest with you about it, because I'm 
flabbergasted, somewhat uh, dumbstruck, somewhat uh, jaw hitting the table still about this whole situation. And I'm trying to make sense of it as much as I think a lot of you are. Just just never thought of it. I just didn't think it could happen. And in retrospect, of course, now it's like, fuck, why couldn't I won the primary? And, you know, there's all this dissatisfaction. And it was close enough in the polls, as John Fun pointed out to us earlier, that it was within the margin of error. What? I just felt like the evil Clinton machine was going to win. I really do. I think that's what it comes down to. I just felt like, you know, in politics in this country, the bad guys win. And certainly the worst guy or gal in this case did not win. Um, So that's, that's my feeling on it. Um, Matt in Atlantic City, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Buck? Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and thank you for some really great coverage over the last, uh, you know, since the beginning of the election. Uh, been working in a real bad cell phone area. Couldn't call in as much as I wanted to, but I've been listening to the podcast every day. Um, you know, we're, a couple of things. You know, my liberal friends on Facebook are just devolving into an anti-white, evil, you know, we're all racist, and that's all it's about, sort of tirade, getting really ugly. And um, another thing I just want to say is, will you ever admit that you look a little bit like that guy from Arcade Fire, the lead singer? On, 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 on a day like today, as good a mood as you're in, can you give me a little concession on that? <laughs> i got to look at the guy from Arcade Fire. I, I've been told, I've been told, I don't, I don't know who he is off the top of my head, but I've been told I look like... Uh, the guy from Parks and Rec, Ben Wyatt, is the character. I forget his name in real life. Uh, that that I've gotten a lot of. People have tweeted that meme, that self-made meme many times of Buck and Ben Wyatt uh, from Parks and Rec side by side. Although, you know, I'll be able to put this out there. I'm about, I think I'm about six inches taller and, and uh, uh, a good bit uh, sturdier than, than that dude. I think he's like 5'3", 120 or something. So anyway. When people say they look like him, I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, maybe if, you know, maybe if he uh, ate his Wheaties for a while. I'm just saying. Yeah. He's the ar- Arcade Fire guy, though. I mean, he's a rock star, so I assume he's popular with the ladies, so I'll take it. Well, yeah, he's actually married, I think, to uh, one of the other members of, a band, of the band, and he has donned the Guy Folks mask right at the time when we had, like, the Ferguson thing going on. So I think it was a little bit of messaging. Might have been. All right. All right, well, I'll take a look at this dude. We'll see. Hopefully, he's a handsome fellow. But, Matt, I appreciate your compliments on my coverage. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, Shields High down in Atlantic City. All right. Can give you some closing thoughts on the other side of this break? And, uh, all right, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. So I was thinking before when I was asked by one of our esteemed uh, callers on Team Buck about the pardon issue for Hillary Clinton and the emails, I was thinking about whether Donald Trump would do it out of magnanimity. But as I see here in Politico, uh, the the more pressing question or the more the more near term one is, will will Obama do it to bail her out? Ooh, that's a whole different situation, Uh, whereas you can make a case that Trump pardoning Hillary just it was just a blanket pardon for any federal offenses she may have committed. Uh, he could do that as president. Would that be 
sort of closing a chapter and extending an olive branch? And is it worth it for the unifying effect it would have? Or is that selling out the law? I understand a lot of you are like throwing things right now at the whatever speaker you're listening to. I'm just th- those are the two sides of that coin. Obama pardoning Hillary would be real would look really bad uh it would be very divisive and the only reason he would do it is if there's a realistic belief i think in his mind that donald trump would actually try to prosecute hillary clinton and put her in jail which i i can't i don't i I don't know i don't know Do do you think he would i think we'll have to revisit this this is a fast this is a fascinating question uh not just whether trump would out of a sort of generosity of unifying the american people uh, whether he would pardon hillary clinton but if barack obama steps up and says that hillary clinton cannot be prosecuted for any federal offenses we all know what what he's referring to and probably some stuff that we don't know that would be ooh, things would get spicy guys it was uh, great to have you here with me day after the election an honor and a pleasure as always uh, please do download today's show you can go to the blaze.com slash buck sexton or on soundcloud uh, itunes stitcher just type in Buck Sexton, uh, download that show for me, and uh, share it with one friend because we got a whole new slate of stuff to talk about. Shield time. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.